HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Appeal. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. Learn more at appeal.com. Hello, this is Dana Cowan, and I'm the host of Speaking Broadly on Heritage Radio Network. Each week, I interview extraordinary women in the world of food and wine. And I've expanded this season to create Giving Broadly, a website devoted to amazing products by extraordinary women entrepreneurs. Check it out for great gifts and ways to amp up your cooking this season. That's givingbroadly.com. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I hope they are all listening to Tech Bites, the show on the Heritage Radio Network where we look at the intersection of food and technology. And today we are recording the penultimate episode of 2020. And historically, that's the past five years, we do a year in review for the penultimate show. So we can take a look back, look at trends, things we like, things we didn't like. And I have to say that this is probably gonna be one of the most prolific year in review shows that we have ever done. 2020 has been unbelievable, challenging, unprecedented, all those adjectives that we've seen in the news headlines over and over and over again. And for those of us, in the restaurant, food, and hospitality business, it has been exceptionally so. So joining us today for our year in review, we have uh, two friends of the show, two friends of Heritage Radio Network who have both been on Tech Bites lots of times and even done year in review shows in the past. They're both co-founders of restaurant online tech businesses and their business is the restaurant business. So they're particularly well situated to um, come on and talk to the audience and also talk about what is the state of the world today. We have Xavier Maricarena, who is co-founder of Shoebox. Shoebox is a point of purchase or digital software, not software program. It's so hard to explain. My favorite thing about it is that you simply take a photo of your invoice, it goes into the ether, and magically the next day that invoice is reconciled in your accounting program. So you have real time food costs, which is 
nothing short of a magic trick in a working restaurant kitchen. Uh, Xavier has done year in review in the past. They've been on the show lots of times, including things like giving tax advice when it comes time to file. Xavier, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Where are you calling in from? Beautiful Philadelphia. Fantastic. <laughs> One of the upshots to doing Tech Bytes remotely and in recording is that we get to have people from all over the world, which has been something new for us and something that we've really appreciated and enjoyed being able to do. Also joining us today is Crystal Mobayani, who again has been on the show lots of times to do year in review, to do tech talks. Um, her company is Bento Box and it is the online platform for restaurant websites, restaurant websites, marketing, sales, sort of a one-stop shop for sales and marketing for restaurants. It's very turnkey, it's restaurant centric. Um, so it addresses a lot of the specific needs and issues of the restaurant community. Crystal, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Where are you calling in from? I have been, you know, historically this year in Manhattan, um, but a few weeks ago came out. Get a little bit more nature in my life. That sounds amazing. My last actual airplane resort vacation was January in Baja. Yes. So I, I'm, I'm having nice memory flashbacks and um, a little... Uh, call in envious right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. It's a, it's a nice change. And also joining us today is somebody who is always on the recording for Tech Bytes, but you rarely hear him, but you certainly know he's there, is Matt Patterson, who is our engineer and one of the hardworking full-time staff of Heritage Radio Network. He's the person who packages everything together and publishes it on Simplecast and puts it out into the world. Matt. Hello, hello. We're gonna we're gonna get to hear from you unexpectedly today. Yeah. One of the big changes of 2020 was this is the year where you gave up on asking me about my new favorite app because you realized that I adopt like one new app a year maybe and like asking me <laughs> weekly just didn't make any sense. <laughs> Exactly. Well, we sort of, and actually to point, that was one of the things that sort of went by the wayside this year. We always used to start the show asking people what their favorite app is. We started the shows in, in, in remote recording, asking people if there was a particular piece of software or mm -hmm. app that was really working hard for them right now. And, and that kind of went by the wayside to sort of get to the main event of, of what people are doing now. Yeah. So I think the best way to kick off this year in review is let's start with the beginning of the year. I know I just said that in January, I was on a great beach resort vacation in Baja, which seems like a thousand years ago. And coming into 2020, the thing that was on top of mind for Tech Bytes was we were getting ready to have our 200th episode, um, which we really thought a lot about and didn't know what to do and maybe have a party and maybe do special guests. Uh, it wound up being our 200th episode was the first episode we did remotely in quarantine. But yep. it, it, Xavier, tell us about what Shoebox was looking at coming into 2020 in January. What was your game plan? What were you guys doing? 
Uh, it was a really exciting time. I mean, um, of course, it was a it was a milestone year. We were all super excited about 2020 just just from the uh, from the outset because of you know 2020 being such a, a specific number. Um, the new decade. The new decade, and you know, from a business standpoint, it was it is still, but it was a super exciting time. We had more than doubled in the, in the previous year. I had just gotten back on a trip from Manila, which we have our international operations based in, and we had just expanded into another beautiful office that held that can hold up to 150 people, and just rolling. We had um, we were, you know, investing in in quite a bit of uh, training and new staff and launching a bunch of new tech initiatives and. It was honestly the most excited I've been about our business since we started um, because, you know, in the, in the tech world, a lot of people always talk about the hockey stick and growth. And we've never, we've decided not to raise money because we just wanted to really be able to focus in on operating a, a good profitable business. And for the first time, we really started seeing the hockey stick going into last fall and, uh, you know, my partner and I, Tony, were super excited because we were able to use our, our profits to kind of expand and grow. And uh, we were just really excited because it was an opportunity for us to really kick off the year and, and just grow. Uh, we added staff stateside and added a lot of staff overseas. And we were poised to do at least another doubling of our business at that point. So, you know, we were, we were in growth mode. And uh, it felt like the restaurant industry as a whole was just really starting to open up to the idea of automation and purchase analytics and just leveraging technology for just day-to-day stuff. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a great, great, exciting time. Can you explain for listeners at home who may not be in the startup tech finance world what the hockey stick is? Yeah. So, I mean... A lot of growth and a lot of the um, of the revenue the adopted users. There's all kinds of metrics that you can kind of look at that will point to your success in either adoption or in usage, or of course the most important one, revenue. And um, so each month you're trying to like you know really pinpoint where you are from a sales side, and every month you want to see growth, right? That's that's a, a sign of a growing business with more customers and and more traction. And, you know, we, we pretty consistently for the first, you know, five, six years of our company would see small growth. It was, um, let's call it 5% each month. And, uh, and it's kind of flat, you know what I mean? It's, it's steady and consistent, but it's not this crazy, you know, when you're looking at a graph, it's not this crazy intensity. It's just, it looks nice and solid and, and steady. In this case, the hockey stick was, oh my gosh, we just upped our revenue 25 or 30 or 40% in one month. And then it happens again the next month and it happens again the next month. And all of a sudden you see this rate of growth really start to go into, I guess, the formation of what they call the hockey stick. I guess the slow growth is the blade where you would shoot the puck. And then the uh, as the growth starts to, to get um, more intense, then you see this, um, the, the actual stick of the, come off the hockey stick. And that's where you're supposed to, I guess, hold the hockey stick. But it's, uh, it, it's essentially is, um, it's, a, it's a high high growth month to month that reflects your adoption. 
I wonder if there's a book somewhere, a website that has categorized and classified all these just random tech monikers and ideas and, and the shorthand and the lingo and the jargon of, of the way tech and startup people talk about their business. But anyway, thank <laughs> you for explaining that to sure. those of us listening at home who, who think of a hockey stick as something that you play hockey with. <laughs> Crystal, Bento Box, how has the year been? I, I think it's worth noting that one of the first episodes of 2020, we talked about the Bento Box restaurant trend report for 2019, which was kind of interesting. So we get to kind of open and close with some of the Bento Box analytics. And we'll get to the 2020 trends report after the break today. But tell us what you were thinking about for Bento Box this year in January coming into the new year. Yeah. Um, well, we uh, started out the year, I think, um, very similar to what Xavier talked about. We had um, some big growth plans. We had just finished, you know, months of annual planning. And we had these strategic initiatives that we were going to execute on, um, you know, we're focused a lot on hospitality groups. We had all these marketing initiatives planned, a lot of events that we were excited about. Um, we had a very aggressive hiring plan um, that we had put into place. And um, yeah, we were just like ready and, and ready to go uh, to you know carry out all these initiatives. Um, but interestingly enough, another one of our very large initiatives um, that 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 we were planning on was releasing online ordering in February, which was, uh, which is kind of crazy when you think about it now, um, uh, the, the impact and the timing of that. Online ordering had been building certainly in the industry, uh, 2019, 2018 as a, not just a, to a topic certainly that we've covered on Tech Bytes in terms of how restaurants were dealing with the growth of the delivery services, but then also, you know, some of the fallout from the delivery services, which we're seeing um, more and more of now in the news um, for people listening at home who may not be aware or following the story, third-party delivery services can be really detrimental for restaurants for a variety of reasons. The first one being that they take a huge percentage cut every time there's an order placed. So anything from 10 to 30%, which in most instances is the actual profit margin of the restaurant. Um, but it has become so well adapted by consumers and so easy uh, with smartphones and everything. It's just tap, 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 and, and you can order food. Restaurants, for the most part, felt very, um, you know, kind of in a corner between a rock and a hard place. They feel obligated to be on the delivery platforms because they're customer basis there, but in many instances, they're losing money on the transactions. So it's been something that was, I, I think, a, a conversation that was becoming louder and louder, and maybe um, you could even say a reckoning was coming. Um, so part of the impetus, I'm, I'm assuming, of Bento Box was to take that ordering platform back from the third parties and give it back to the restaurant so that they could have more control over it. Um, and certainly from a profitability and a marketing and a, and a customer standpoint. Um, did you accelerate the release of it in February or did it roll out as planned, but just with a much different yeah, yeah, acceptance we, or? 
Yeah, we, um, so it was interesting. We, I remember it was very early 2019 that we were thinking through, okay, what, what is kind of our, our next move on the product side? And we were thinking through reservations and online ordering, and we analyzed our customer base to understand like who was using, what, which product would um, serve more of our customer base. And we, and we landed on online ordering and, um, and yeah, and we built it throughout the year. We had had a beta at the end of 2019 and the full release with the beta was just um, pickup and the full release was planned for early 2020. And the plan was that it was going to be an add on to our website. Um, and, uh, cause that's always been kind of our core product is the website. And then everything else is, is bolted on to that as an add on. But, um, as the, you know, pandemic started growing, um, in early March, we quickly pivoted to make online ordering available, um, as sort of its own, product that could be purchased without a website. And so now we moved from having this one core product to, to now two, you could either work with Bento Box just with online ordering, or you could do a website and then have the add-ons as well. And that was like something that our, our product and engineering team worked day and night for like a week straight to get it released in like five days. And it was, it was really um, miraculous how they did that. It's amazing how these things are are in place, sort of the, I mean, many people would say there are no coincidences, but the way things, some things were already in place and then just really got to hit the ground running um, with the pandemic. So many of the business owners that we have talked to over the course of this year have said that from a, a tech company point of view, the pandemic has really just accelerated the growth that they had planned for. Um, in an exponential kind of way. But Xavier, I would imagine that that's probably not the case with you guys. Um, and I, I wonder if because you have your international office in Manila in the Philippines, did you have a different sense of what was coming in terms of the pandemic? Just given that it started in Asia and went through Europe and then came to the United States, I do think that you know having the hindsight now publicly, people were, um, you know, and I think it's understandable, maybe not as focused on it, maybe didn't really realize how uh, serious it was going to be, didn't really think that closings and, and stay-at-home orders would be coming to the United States. Did you, did you guys have an early warning um, because of your business in the Philippines? Well, interestingly enough, we had, um, <laughs> we had just actually hired uh, a couple, um, a couple American former chefs that were going to be going to our, to our Manila uh, office uh, to essentially help run operations, and they had tickets booked. And I remember being on Airbnb, and you know my plan was to kind of give them ninety days in, uh, in like a nice, in a nice Airbnb, so they could get settled in, and like literally they were going to head out there. Uh, right around mid-February. And honestly, like we were, we were a little bit, um, you know, we kind of were laissez-faire laissez about it. We were kind of laughed internally thinking like, ah, oh, man, this is just, again, the media is hyping something up. It's going to be way worse. 
um, when it's delivered on, you know, a news platform than what's actually going on. And uh, the corporate office that we're in, in Manila is the big, beautiful building. And there's a lot of um, Chinese businesses there from like Fukien and from Shanghai and Beijing, a lot of technology development happening there that, that um, is specific to uh, the Chinese um, you know, ecosystem and stuff. And the first kind of sign we got as to the kind of like the funky little ripples that were happening were when my staff started uh, saying to us, hey, the elevators are so much lighter in traffic. And this was a couple weeks after, you know, they had locked down um, in China and they were trying to figure out how things were spreading and stuff. But there was already signs that there was less traffic coming in and out of our corporate office, which has got to be like, you know, 50 floors. And, you know, we just kind of saw it as, okay, maybe they're just kind of uh, cutting back on travel or something. And or people, of course, are just being super conscious and want to see how things pan out. But to, to answer your question, super honestly, we we had to can't we had to postpone trips, and we thought it was going to be a few weeks of just like, all right, let's just see how things settle in, and we can replan these trips and get our get our chef operations peeps back overseas. And uh, here we are. <laughs> and are they still stateside? They are still safe side. <laughs> they are still safe side. So Matt Patterson, who is our engineer and one of the full-time staff studio members of Heritage Radio Network, I have to give a shout out here to the entire uh, HR and staff who did an amazing job transitioning 35 plus live shows a week that we used to record in the amazing shipping container studio in Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. They transitioned everything to online and to recording on Zencaster. And as a host and producer, the whole thing happened really seamlessly. So I'm gonna, before, he, before we hear from him, give him a big shout out and say, whatever the strategy was, you guys did an amazing job. When did you know that you were gonna do that and start planning for that? Because we didn't uh, miss a beat at all. Yeah, we didn't miss shows. We didn't miss a beat. The timing, delays. Was, the timing was pretty crazy. I mean, we got lucky in a couple ways. It's not unlike, you know, Crystal's story of like having something coming down the having having a technology sort of waiting in the wings. That's that was very helpful, um, you know, because we really like shows like Meet and Three, we had been doing these remote recordings for that show and so we were familiar with the various technologies prior to even thinking about the pandemic so that really helped us out like we weren't we weren't confused about how we were going to do remote recordings really i mean obviously there's a lot of logistics to think through but like the technology we were already familiar with and then yeah i mean that that period in march was crazy i mean we were at charleston wine and food which was like the last major event to actually happen um and it was like being on the you know 
upper decks of the Titanic, having like an amazing party, you know, amazing food and drink and, and, you know, entertainment. And then, but like all around us, we knew the world was falling apart and people were starting to get real worried about what their restaurants were going to do. And it was a topic of conversation throughout the weekend, both on the air and off the air, especially. And, uh, Basically, we came back and, you know, Katie Mosman-Wadler, the executive director of Heritage, had a, has a you know, biomedical background. And so she took a public health background and she took things very seriously. Um, and because we had been traveling, we were very aware of things that had been going on on the West Coast and events getting canceled and all that. And so we just I mean, we we went from having no plan to recording remotely in under a week um, we, we, you know, basically started planning for remote recordings on Thursday, the 12th and went remote on Monday, whatever the next week was. So it was, um, yeah, I don't know. Just had to flip the switch cause there wasn't really another good option. <laughs> uh, so yeah. It's funny that you, uh, mentioned the 12th cause that's a day that, that's, the date that sticks in my mind as well, because it's the date that we did a practice everyone remote day to make sure yeah. that everyone like had, you know, the right equipment and they were all set up and everything. And then we just never went back. Um, yeah, that was, a big, that. that was a big day to me. I mean, like that was the day when theater called it. And my wife is in theater, and I just remember that was the last day I rode the subway. I mean, like, you know, I rode the subway into work, rode the subway to go, like, hang out with some theater folks whose show had just gotten canceled. And then Kate and I walked back from Soho to Sunset Park, Brooklyn, over the Brooklyn Bridge, because we were like, all right, I think we're going to leave the city tomorrow. We have no idea when we're coming back. And uh, it was pretty crazy. It was Friday the 13th that week, March. Friday the 13th. Yeah, that was the day I left, yeah. And the very first episode we did remotely was that following Tuesday, March 16th. And the thing that was so striking to me was we had been laboring over what to do for the 200th episode because that's a milestone. (laughs) We started Tech Bytes in January of 2015. And what should we do for such an epic milestone, so many episodes? And it wound up being a landmark, but because it was the first episode we did yeah. Stay at home Not in the, the way pandemic. You planned at all. Like you had taken you had taken some weeks off to like think about exactly. what, what am I gonna do for episode two hundred, but by doing that you managed to put it perfectly timed so that it ended up being the, the first remote episode. So from a tech bytes perspective, we have done um almost all of our episodes this year, with the exception of three, were done remotely. And we really focused on uh we brought back a lot of uh people who had been on the show before, a lot of former guests. Um, We met some new people also. We had people calling in from the UK and California. And we really focused on businesses that were doing a pivot with the pandemic to uh, recreate their business, to create a nonprofit leg of their business, to help restaurant industry workers who needed food or money, a lot of different kinds of things. One of my favorite stories from the year was about Food and Finance High School, which is such an amazing uh, school organization, the students, the faculty, um, an amazing group of people. They all really pulled together to take care of each other, their communities. They had virtual Zoom graduation. 
Um, and everybody, even though these are kids who are in school to become a part of an industry that is being decimated before our eyes, they were all super positive and looking forward to the future and waiting to get the call to go back to their restaurant jobs, which I just thought was amazing. Um, so tell us, uh, Xavier and Crystal, what happened then going into the spring? I mean, Xavier, your business runs on restaurant businesses. So as you know, restaurants are buying things and you know, things are coming in the door with purchasing, you're integrating into accounting programs, which implies money and transaction. Yeah. What happened? Was there a point where everything just stopped? Well, thankfully, thankfully, you know, working in a cloud-based business technology forward, we had distributed, um, we have distributed clients all over the country and, and some international. And, um, in for that, you know, we are very lucky because it did allow us to absorb some waves. But I'll be honest, I mean, uh, April hit and it was a panic like I have not seen before. I mean, because we're essentially uh, we're a part of the process for all of our clients in getting proactive financials. You know, we we make it a lot more efficient. People understand what's happening minute by minute in their restaurants as far as, you know, am I hitting my numbers? Um, I mean, but to give you an idea, we went from 10,000 invoices on a random Tuesday to like 800. And yeah, and that's, um, I think number one, you know, of course the volumes will go way down when you can't be open. But I think that since we are in direct contact with the, with the leadership on the, on the financial side, with all of the partners that we work with, there was a real sense of urgency and of, I mean, it was frenetic energy. Um, you know, we've got CFOs calling us, controllers calling us, hey, man, can you, can you please, you know, pause billing? We have no idea what's going on. Um, you know, we had people saying, hey, I mean, we literally had CFOs reach out and say, hey, if you guys hear about anything, I literally just got let go. I mean, because unfortunately, in many of these situations, I mean, the back office is um, can be exposed. I mean, if you're if you're um, making a good salary and you're overseeing 10 units that normally you're doing, you know, let's call it a cumulative, you know, uh, $250,000 a, a, a week or, or more, I mean, big salaries get cut first. And um, it was a really tense time because a lot, there's, there was no, there's no way to plan for what was about to happen. And we could see just on our back end that it was pretty drastic. Um, and New York, the Northeast, DC, Philadelphia, it just got, it got clobbered. Right. And we were kind of, um, we were kind of taking a look at Europe as to see how it could potentially be replicated here as far as, you know, shutdowns, quarantine, um, how they handle business moving forward. And um, I'll be honest, it was a really scary time. And the only thing we could do was kind of just like hurry up and wait. You know, we had no idea what was about to come. 
And Crystal, how about for Bento Box? You, though, um, in a slightly different position in that everybody turned to digital and online. So are you yeah. one of the businesses that were able to uh, be a, a resource and in some respects a lifeline to the restaurants? Yeah, I mean, we saw both sides of the coin. So we, you know, obviously restaurants were going to be affected. And when the um, shutdowns happened and we also prepared on our side, we, um, you know, paused our hiring, we tightened up and, and cut our expenses. We, you know, furloughed or had to let go a number of people that we had like hired for growth or, um, you know, if their roles were, were to be more out in the field. Um, and so it, yeah, we were expecting um, it to be really, really, um, really difficult. And, and, you know, there, there was a pretty big surge in April, even the end of March, April, even into May of just, um, restaurants shutting down. So that was, that had a really big impact on us, but we did see, um, you know, the adoption of online ordering just go through the roof and restaurants realizing that when their brick and mortar property was closed, that their digital property was kind of all they had and um, the importance of that and making sure that, you know, that they could communicate with their guests and then also that they could continue to drive some sort of revenue where they could keep, you know, 100% of the the profits as opposed to what they were seeing from the third parties. Um, and so, yeah, we saw, you know, uh, the amount of transactions going through our platform grow, like, 250x like uh you know within a couple of weeks which was which was which was huge um both on the online ordering side but then also um gift cards um and um you know people getting really a restaurants getting very creative with like doing online classes or wine classes or cooking classes and so people were just um you know, almost scrambling to uh, stay connected to their community and their diners in any way possible. And um, we were in a position to be able to help facilitate that, which which was really great. So at any point then this summer or coming into the fall, was there an upswing? Did things start to, I hate to use the word normalize, but maybe stabilize or an upward trend? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've continued to grow, but um, I think the most notable thing is when we look at our cancellations, um, you know, I mentioned that there was really a surge in end of March, April, May. Um, but then, yeah, in the summer that really started to stabilize. I think, you know, those who were able to get their hands on the PPP helped, outdoor dining helped. Um, and then obviously um, being able to drive revenue online through how what we were providing. I mean, we were seeing some restaurants in the first like couple months doing millions of dollars of orders online. And that's, um, I think that's like rivals their on-premise revenue that they were doing. Um, and so, uh, and, and since that, like the cancellations have, they remain elevated because, um, you know, at some point restaurants are still deciding to shut their doors, but um, they're not what they were like. They're, they're much closer to what they were pre-COVID than they were in like March, April, May, which is, you know, has been comforting. And did um, business come back on the shoebox side as places started to open back up? And I'm assuming then 
they're driving the online still by producing things in-house. Yeah, I mean, we saw there was really that jolt in like April and May that was pretty scary. Um, and both for clients and of course, just all of us in general, kind of just getting used to <laughs> how we're going to handle all this stuff. Um, we're today, you know, we've pretty much recouped all of the revenue and all of the, um, not all the clients, but all the revenue that we, that we had lost. And, you know, we're going to be back to where we were last year come February around there. Um, so thankful for that. I just think, you know, we're really just focusing our resources for better or worse on reach outs to, I mean, more traditionally red states. And I'm not saying that in like, uh, in a, in a political sense, just, it just seems like Florida, Texas, you know, um, Wyoming, Arizona, well, maybe not so red anymore, but uh, those places that have maintained operations or maybe less, less strict rules when it comes to the guest experience, um, they have propelled us and uh, they have really helped maintain our, our core business. Um, and I'm super excited to see how New York rebounds in the Northeast and of course, California, et cetera. Um, but it's really hard to pin your success to essentially like uh, an industry that can't, can't really guarantee its footing right now. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're hopeful and, um, but it just, it's just really hard to, I don't know, to, to see any, any, any positive light for, for our traditional kind of um, ecosystem as far as our restaurant clients. And historically, the fourth quarter is, is the money season for restaurants. Yeah. The last three months of the year between corporate, corporate entertaining, personal entertaining, all of the holidays, you know, we start in October and you run all the way through to New Year's Eve on December 31st. So many uh, restaurants and hospitality and food businesses, and then all the adjacent businesses that fuel that, this is when everybody makes their money. Um, how, how does this holiday season look right now? Yeah, for us, we, um, we're actually seeing a, an increase in um, starting in November in terms of, again, the, the revenue that is flowing to restaurants through our platform. We saw um, a big, like, gift cards went down a bit over the summer, but have shot back up. Catering has gone back up. I think that a lot of restaurants have adopted um, alternative ways of doing events, whether it's like meal kits or cocktail kits that are sh shipped to um, staff at an office or, you know, um, meal kits for Thanksgiving or the holidays. Um, so we're seeing that there is um, a big opportunity for restaurants to kind of see that um, uh, growth when they embrace kind of alternative online digital channels um, to be able to continue to serve their, their community. Well, it's, it's so much to take in. And, you know, typically it's interesting, uh, X, to hear you talk about the uncertainty 
um, because being a founder of a restaurant tech startup sounds like a really unstable, uncertain proposition from the get-go. <laughs> yeah, and the restaurant industry itself is so, even in the best of times, is volatile and fickle and at the mercy of, of so many uh, trends and influences outside their control that the restaurant industry itself is also you know, extremely uncertain. So do, do you feel like you're just exponentially in an uncertain environment or does this feel just very different from even the baseline of uncertainty that you're used to managing? You know, I think the pandemic has completely reframed to me what a restaurant is. Um, and, you know, I, I grew up in, and my partner too, in like the uh, fine dining, sit down, white tablecloth, expense account driven. I mean, to me, a restaurant is, you know, has a bar, has, uh, has a wine list. Uh, and I think this has completely reframed that for me because restaurant doesn't, most restaurants don't have a wine list. Most restaurants don't have, you know, you don't order courses. I mean, a restaurant really is like the anchor to Crystal's point of the community. And uh, like a cafe is a much more, it touches much more people or a coffee shop touches much, many more people than um, the restaurant industry that I grew up in. And so I'm now seeing sandwich shops and, uh, you know, essentially just like fast casual as a much bigger representation of what our industry is. And, you know, the mom and pop pizza spots, um, just like the anchors of the community that don't really get any media. Nobody knows who the chef is. They might not even have a chef necessarily. That's America's restaurant. You know what I mean? Like the place where you go and maybe get a Corona and they open up a bag of chicken tenders and they drop them. And you know that there's ranch dressing from any <laughs> one of our favorite, you know, pickup trucks that likes to deliver in the alley and block the entire parking easeway. I mean, that's America's restaurants. And I, and I still love, of course, and uh, identify so much with traditional chef driven kind of experience. Um, but it's, you know, if, if I'm running my business and I'm trying to understand the best way to move forward with my staff and everybody else in mind that's a part of my community, um, moving forward, I've got I've to gotta put less weight on, um, you know, like the marquee chefs of the world and the people that get attention. And I've got to really focus my energy and our collective energy as a company on providing excellent service to people who are just trying to do business and feed their families. And that's, that's a major difference for me than where I was a year, a year ago today. That's interesting to hear um, your thought process on that. And it's worth noting that part of the reason why we love the shoebox guys on Tech Bytes is they are one of the only instances of actual restaurant people making technology for restaurants. We really don't often see um, chefs and people who work in restaurants building technology for themselves and the, their colleagues. Restaurant tech and food tech is usually um, comes from people who are on the customer side or the dining room side who want to create a, a better experience um, for themselves and other people. 
I wonder if, um, you know, listening to you talk, it makes me think that restaurants are perhaps loosely divided into three categories. You have the first category, which is simply sustenance and food. You know, mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I, I need to get food from someplace and I'm going to get it here. Um, the other thing is that third space, especially in New York City, where we have such small apartments and, and limited space at home, restaurants, cafe, coffee shop, bar, those all became our, our third spaces where we live our social life, our social life and our neighborhood life, sometimes our working life. And so the uh, food or drink that you're having, is almost incidental, but the thing you're going for is the social factor and that third space factor. And then I do think that those super high-end, very fine dining experiences with like the fancy chef and, you know, the five-hour meal and all of that, those are almost uh, theatrical and entertainment driven. You know, the, the level, um, the intellectual level, the technical level that restaurants like that are performing at, um, it, it goes beyond sort of just eating something and socializing. Um, and I do think, you know, Crystal, certainly the digital side of things is probably fulfilling a very, that, that first category for people, which is we, we need to eat and get food. Yep. Yep. Or want to create moments, you know, within whoever their smaller circle is now, um, you know, uh, and, and have some kind of social like moment that, <laughs> you know, doesn't include having to. Well, that was a very long first half to talk about the sort of chronological play of 2020. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will look at the restaurant trend report from Bento Box. The 2020 report is not even off the press yet. We have all of the data um, early, which is exciting. Um, and we will get to that uh, when we come back from this break. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We are like public radio and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members who are listeners like you, grants and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. I would love to do a quick bathroom bake. I'm this also missing that. This episode is brought to you by Here at HRN, we care about reducing food waste music. across our food system from din, farms din, 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 to din, din, home din, din, kitchens. Din, 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 din. We know that about <laughs> half the produce we grow ends up in the trash. We all want to enjoy produce at peak freshness and reduce the amount that gets thrown away. That's where Appeal comes in. Appeal is a plant-based protective layer that helps produce last up to twice as long. It's edible, invisible, and imitates how peels naturally protect fruit and vegetables. Because here's the thing. Less waste just doesn't mean we're throwing less food away. It also means we waste less water, energy, and other resources that go into growing produce. Peel works with nature to reduce waste across the food system, from the farm to the kitchen. Appeal helps us conserve our precious resources to ensure we have fresh food to meet our growing need. Appeal food gone good. Learn more at appeal.com. This episode is supported by Nourish and Flourish. Nourish and Flourish features behind-the-scenes stories about artisans, producers, farmers, growers, and other makers in America, along with delicious and wholesome recipes. 
The latest issue of Nourish and Flourish is a special artisanal gift guide showcasing some of America's finest products, including everything from the farm and garden to eco-friendly home goods, kitchen and cooking essentials, bath and body, original art, blown glass, seasonal recipes, and so much more. Shop online to support local and buy local. Together, we can make a difference. Learn more at nourishandflourish.site. Well, we are in our year in review show, and we just took a look at 2020, which has been breathtaking in so many ways. And we are closing out this year in Tech Bites a little bit the way we started off. One of the first episodes in January of 2020 was the Bento Box Restaurant Trend Report, which is something that they do annually. And this is a great year to have back, some data way. looking back. And um, we'll, we'll walk through some of the trends. And um, I don't think they're really surprising, although you know, maybe, maybe some of the volume numbers are surprising. So the first trend, the number one trend, is something that we talked about in the first half of the show, digital transformation of restaurants. Um, I think digital transformation of everything, restaurants as well, online ordering up 250 times increase, which is amazing. Um, you know, a, a question that I would ask both of you, restaurants are typically not super tech savvy. How do you think the, the does this pandemic make it easier for restaurants to become more tech savvy because they have to? Do people have the time to sort of figure out and learn how to increase their web presence and automate their business for efficiency? Have you seen greater adaptation, not just because of necessity, but also just because of, of time and willingness? I mean, I absolutely have. I think there's been restaurants who have historically been like digital or, you know, online ordering or, you know, uh, focusing on, um, you know, uh, online presence is just not for me. I am a, you know, brick and mortar. I have my regulars and and that's that. Um, and that resistance, um, those walls of resistance have absolutely come down at, out of necessity. And I think that um, what we're seeing now is that um, now that they've adopted it and um, have adjusted their operations um, for what is kind of this new normal um, and seen that, you know, it, it's, it, it, the impact it can have and that it isn't as um, difficult or expensive as um, once expected, um, that there's no restaurant in America that is going to just um, abandon that at, at any given point. Um, I think that it's going to be a fixture of, you know, um, restaurants now moving forward. And I think also with, um, I think the digital transformation of restaurants also includes a lot of um, uh, automation as well um, as, you know, staffs and um, budgets and capacity has been cut. It's been really important to be able to backfill that um, and technology obviously um, comes in, comes into play here as well. So from my perspective, I think that is just, it, it has knocked down a barrier that has been um, historically very um, resistant to being knocked down. Have you found that to be the case also, X? 
shoebox when she was saying backfill with people backfill people with technology i thought immediately of you guys <laughs> yeah you know um i think a couple things that we noticed started to happen i think first is what was a normally a very reactive um overworked staff that never had time for anything let alone looking into new solutions during that pause button that we all experienced I feel like a lot of a lot of people did start to look into okay when I come back from this how am I going to be as efficient as possible because I don't have the budget I used to have and whether that's adopting technologies or communication like Trello or hey let's get a staff slack going on I think that definitely um, there wasn't that sense of, you know, you're my day-to-day family as much as there has been in, up until now. Everybody needed to figure out a better way to communicate. And I think people were tasked with figuring out better ways to, to work since they might not have the human capital that they had in the past. And um, I think there's also a, a great deal of skepticism um, insofar as many many of our clients, I think, they're very realistic about what the next year or two may hold as far as who's coming out. Will travel come back? Will the business expenses um, be back on the table? Will people travel for work? Where, will the, you know, the dinner meetings happen? And I think with that, people are being honest and saying, you know, all right, I could bring back six people and have to furlough them in two months if things don't, things don't go as well as I hoped, or I can bring on two and I've got to be smart about how I'm going to employ my time and them, you know, my staff so that we can get the most out of it. So um, I think there's a, a, a cautiousness in bringing staff back that I've never seen before. Usually, especially in restaurants, front of house, as, as an example, it's like, all right, uh, Yelp says our service was bad. Hire more service, you know what I mean? Or hire more you know, bar packs or bus boys or whatever the case may be. And that's not where we're at right now. It's almost the opposite. It's like, all right, we're going to get by through the skin, by the skin of our teeth. Managers are now taking orders. And essentially if you're on the payroll, like there's a lot of pressure to deliver, um, just, you know, contribute to the, to the, to the operation. So I think in that sense, people are going to come back with a lot more, of a, of a cautious eye as far as where they're putting their money. Well, number two is where the public was putting their money and that is diner support of restaurants, which is something that I really love to see and, and is very encouraging the way uh, the public, the dining public rallied behind restaurants and their staff. Um, direct donations recorded through Bento Box over 300, more than 300 thousand dollars, almost a hundred thousand gift cards sold. And this is a fascinating statistic. The highest gift card amount was $10,000, which is exceptional. A $10,000 gift card. That's amazing. Yeah. It's been really um, great to see um, how diners have responded. Diners really want to support their community. Diners, um, you know, they want to know if the restaurant, if they can order direct and from the restaurant and um, save them the the fees that the, the restaurant would get. And um, the direct donations, that's, that's a pivot that we made um, kind of early on, where in our checkout um, 
if you're buying anything, a restaurant can enable a, a donation fee uh, for restaurant relief um, for the restaurant, for the diner to um, check the box and, and donate. And it's just a very easy way for people to show their support. And the, the response has been um, amazing to see. People really realize how much they miss their their local spot to your earlier point x you know just getting together what all those things mean that rallying point and connection um, to your neighborhood and your people number three is the rise of ghost kitchens um, i live in chelsea which is the new tech bites recording studio and there is a parking lot that is filled with food trucks which is a ghost kitchen parking lot um, there's five or six and some would be uh, restaurant names you've definitely heard of and they are just pumping the delivery food out of these food truck kitchens, which is fascinating, smart, nimble, um, all of that. Um, it says that you had a year to year increase in ghost kitchens by 60 times, which is amazing. Um, and this one, the top three ghost kitchen cuisines, number one is... Do you want to guess X? Do you want to guess the top three? The top three. Yeah. Uh, ghost kitchen. Ghost, ghost mean, kitchen cuisines. Very generic. Ghost qu kitchen cuisines. All right. I'm going to have number to go one with. Is, number one is salads. Chicken. <laughs> chicken. chicken. All right. Yeah, you, you mentioned right. the chicken. I thought chicken. you were going to. Yeah, yeah, the chicken tenders. The fingers. Yeah, yeah the tenders. <laughs> it, I feel like uh, chicken was on the tip of your tongue. <laughs> Number two, pizza, barbecue, barbecue. Mm -hmm. I love it. I mean, I love it. It's just interesting. And All number right. three, uh, number three, sushi, Mexican, Mexican. All right. Yeah. Interesting. I like it. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, um, very much like in the comfort food realm. So I think maybe it, it reflects the, you know, state of people are feeling. I'm also going to go out on a limb. I, I do not have children. So this is just a guess. Is number one chicken because of families also because kids eat chicken and chicken tenders and chicken fingers and all that kind of stuff that chickens not just a adult ex chicken tender ranch experience, but also kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's a great hypothesis. Number four is the birth of the at-home meal kit. And this is something um, that we actually covered, interestingly, on the show early on, restaurants putting together meal kits and then doing a virtual cooking class, um, putting together meal kits so people can recreate their favorite dishes from the restaurants because they couldn't have them inside. Definitely uh, meal kits are part of, I think, the creativity of restaurants sort of Putting, to, putting out there and putting together whatever they can to try and recreate the experience at home for people and just come up with new product lines to sell to keep themselves in business while you know things are potentially closed. Um, you had 825 meal kits offered on through uh, in the in the bento box universe, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Um, how many restaurants do you have or restaurant websites do you have in the, if you can give us a ballpark um, in the, in the universe? About, probably about 6,000. 
So that's a good number. So 825 is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's about almost one sixth. So it's huge. And number five, also not surprising and something that we didn't have an opportunity to talk about yet because we were so focused on um, the pandemic element and the shutdown and the quarantine. Number five is restaurants standing up for cultural and social change, um, which is something that restaurants have historically done. I mean, every single person listening to this show has been to a been to a nonprofit event or a charity event or seen a restaurant donating food product services to some community, political, educational, cultural entity. Um, but here, restaurants really took uh, things a step further, feeding frontline workers, uh, meals donated to frontline workers. It's almost 11,000, uh, which is amazing. And total dollars supporting frontline workers is almost $200,000, which is amazing. I mean, just that piece of it alone, um, helping you know the people who are really keeping everybody you know, alive and going. And then the social justice piece, the economic piece, the political activism piece, um, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, X, when you talked about restaurants, the definition of restaurants being redefined for you is the restaurant as this sort of cultural, public health, public safety, social, political, uh, justice statement-making machine, is is that a different lens for you to see restaurants through also? Because restaurants have been extremely active and vocal this year, much more so than usually. That's, that's a good question. I mean, I've, I grew up in restaurants and, you know, I'm, I'm a first, uh, I don't know if it's first or second generation American, you know, my, both my parents were not born here. Uh, so I've always identified with the people that make the beautiful restaurant myriad community. I mean, I've, um, whether it's, you know, staff that works in the back of the house that normally doesn't get any attention or love, or it's, you know, kids just trying to put themselves through college. I mean, I think it's, I've always really, um, admired, loved and respected all the people that make up the restaurant industry. And, um, I think this year goes to show what happens when um, when people have time or make the time to focus on things beyond the four walls of a restaurant and who didn't do side work and who's did what to who or who's not showing up. I mean, like it was really great to see how many smart people were really speaking up on behalf of restaurants um, and, you know, everybody's need to serve. But I think one of the things that it's kind of like a two-edged sword for me about restaurants or food service in general is that we're all just like so conditioned to care for other people. And we're also conditioned to um, essentially put ourselves last that, you know, I think in a way it's, it's really beautiful and it's amazing to see the camaraderie that comes from it, but it also, it can really start to, hamper or hinder the ability to kind of look within and make change because we're just always so worried about everybody else. 
And um, I think it's one of the major reasons the government or, you know, the higher ups haven't necessarily prioritized the restaurant industry as far as health and stuff, because we seem to kind of come back to the well of sadist pain, um, whether it means starting a new restaurant or it means that we just don't, um, we don't get any love because we're willing to come back to it over and over again. So hospitality yeah. industry. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'd like to add to that, that, you know, just to piggyback off what Xavier was saying. I mean, I think you see that in not only restaurants feeding frontline workers, but when the protests were going on, um, I think that the restaurant tours that, you know, went in front of Congress earlier this year was, was pretty remarkable. Um, you know, there were things like election night specials, just really supporting um, and, and encouraging everyone to cast their vote and that how much it matters um, in, in shaping the country. And so, yeah, I think that, um, again, going back to caring for the community and um, what Xavier was saying was kind of taking care of people and doing it in these different ways when it couldn't be like direct in the restaurant. I received an email recently from one of my very favorite um, local restaurant groups and this uh, restaurant group, small, two restaurants, um, it's a family business. They did delivery and outdoor dining and, and all these types of things and really hustled over the course of the year to keep their businesses alive and simultaneously um, would have different uh, nonprofits and causes raising money for different things to you know, help support other issues and initiatives. And they've been doing that throughout the entire year consistently, trying to keep their business alive and then simultaneously somehow managing to give $2,000 to this charity, $5,000 to this social justice group. And they sent an email out uh, maybe a week ago saying that they are essentially just asking for donations and people to buy gift cards because their businesses are you know, really close to closing. And it really struck me because they've been working so hard to keep their businesses up and running. And simultaneously, they've been giving a portion of whatever small revenues they've made to other people, um, to the point that their survival is in question now. And I think that really just kind of enca encapsulates the best parts of the restaurant industry and also hopefully encapsulates why um, number two on your list is, is diner support. Um, and I would almost love to see number two move to the number one slot going into 2021 um, just because it's, it's so critical and crucial and we've talked about it all year and it's in the headlines, maybe not enough. Um, but now is really the time to show the love for the things that you love to make sure that they are with us going into next year. I'll ask each of you um, what you are, you know, just a final thought to close out 2020 and then a quick thought as to what you're looking towards to 2021. Um, game plan, idea, what your company's gonna do. Um, just a quick thought looking forward, um, what you see for next year. X, what do you, what do you, closing out 2020 with and going into 2021 with? Well, closing out 2020, um, 
it's absolutely uh, super important on our list is to be in constant communication with our clients, see how they're doing, see how can we support them, um, and just being a part of their community and ecosystem in a way that, you know, we can always offer value, right? Beyond just the software and the technology and all that other stuff. It's just, uh, you know, how can we, how can we all kind of partner together and, and moving forward and going into 2021, um, going to continue to kind of focus on a non-traditional restaurant market. I'm going to continue to focus on more of that fast casual sector to ensure that we're kind of insulated from any, um, hopefully not more, but, you know, other potential um, shutdowns and stuff and um, going to rethink uh, living in the city, <laughs> I guess. How about you, Crystal? Um, I think the thought to close out 2020 is really just um, a tremendous amount of gratitude for our team and their resilience and their willingness to just roll with the punches. It's been a very up and down year um, and it hasn't been easy. And um, they've just done a great job of staying just mission focused and um, just having incredible, again, resilience. And so I'm, uh, that's something that I'm really grateful for and, and the people um, are really what make Bento Box what it is. Um, and just focus on serving our customers. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the thought leaving 2020. Um, and then 2021, I mean, it's just continuing to really empower restaurants. I think that um, it matters now more than ever. And um, I think we all want to live in a world where our favorite places are alive and thrive. And, um, you know, now that there's an end in sight, um, we can't wait to go out and have that, have that meal and, um, just making sure that we're empowering and supporting restaurants in the best way that we can. Matt, how about you? How would you close out 2020 from your heritage radio engineer vantage point? Oh, I don't know. It's been a year of like continual adaptation. And I think it's, uh, yeah, I mean, like Crystal said, it's the, you know, it's, it all comes down to how, how good your team is and like how good they can be to each other and to themselves. This is a really hard year in a lot of ways. Um, and looking forward to 2021, I'm not really expecting that to change quickly for us you know it's like a lot of the things that have been true through this year are still going to be true through all of next year all the big events that we would do you can't plan an event under this under these circumstances so those won't happen and um and you know i think a big chunk of the year is still going to be remote so it's like we just need to keep keep evolving our process and try and make this try and get all the good stuff out of this that we can and and uh, I don't know, keep making it work. Well, you guys have done an amazing job of making it work. And I will say that I agree, uh, concur with Matt in that things are not gonna change rapidly, um, realistically for the day to day, um, even though we do have light at the end of the tunnel now. The New York Times has a really fun interactive um, piece on their website, which is you can calculate where you are in line to get the vaccine. 
in mm -hmm. either New York City or in the country. And I, it's, it's very simple. You answer four or five questions and then it tells you where you are in line. And I think for New York City, I was number 1.7 million in line. So <laughs> yeah. I think for me, that a means similar result. sometime yeah. next year in the summer or fall, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. That's what I'm expecting for a lot of the folks that we work with. But, you know, restaurant people sounds like they'll fall in an earlier category. But all of us who are sitting at computers, it's a different story. Yes. Well, I will say that from the TechBytes point of view, um, I am still and will continue to be um, just amazed by the HR and staff and their continuing to organize and raise money and hustle and put on virtual events and all of the shows and even brought on um, new shows each season as planned. Um, and that's just an amazing piece of work. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the first episode that we did remotely, we had two guests on who had been on in the past. And one of them said, oh, this is great. It's like coming home again. And it was so funny to hear because she was at her home. <laughs> that's where she was. And she was calling in for the show. But there was something about the collection of people being together and talking, even though it's over a piece of technology. And, you know, one thing that certainly, you know, to echo Crystal in terms of gratitude, you know, absolutely gratitude for the whole HR and network and mechanism and continuing to do the show because checking with people and hearing how people are um, experiencing the pandemic, dealing with it, pivoting, being creative, moving forward, keeping their businesses alive, keeping their employees working, um, helping people in their communities. Um, uh, for me, as a host and a producer, listening to the stories, not just my show, but the other shows, it's a bright spot. You know, we're talking about serious things, but it's a bright, sp a bright spot to hear about the creative resiliency that so, so much of us have. I will say that going into 2021, I hope that people um, continue to uh, listen to what's happening around them, really listen and hear it and continue to be uh, grateful and thoughtful. Be thoughtful about how you spend your time and how you spend your money and, and where those things go. You know, I, I was maybe not as attuned to it before, but in my neighborhood in Chelsea, I make a point to, you know, visit all my small little pharmacies and all my small little bodegas and all my small little shops and sort of spread my shopping around the neighborhood day to day and week to week. So, um, you know, they, those, those businesses will be here in 2021. Um, we're learning so much about ourselves and the world, so much about the great things that we have, so much about the things that maybe are terrible and we need to do away with and we need to make better. And hopefully that um, knowledge and understanding and the motivation to be active and work towards that will not go away when the pandemic goes away and we go back to quote normal. Um, last question for everybody. Do you think the restaurant industry and the hospitality industry is irrevocably changed? Do you think it will go back to before times or do you think we will just continue to evolve and the new future time restaurant will be a different entity? 
I think that there's going to be a lasting evolution. Um, but I do think that it will be done in a way that feels very true to like the spirit of hospitality. Yeah, I um, I think that I think that our approach to restaurants is absolutely going to change the society, and I think there's going to be um, a nice mix of cautious diners mixed in with like um, a group of people that are just so happy to be back in in a restaurant and not having to do their own dishes. Uh, I think the major question here is, will restaurants operators, restaurateurs, service staff, will we change to adapt to a more sustainable model moving forward um, in light of what we've learned from this? Well, time will tell. And hopefully, hopefully everything is just better on the other side. I want to thank all of my guests and my engineer for being here for the 2020 Year in Review show. Tune in next week. We'll be doing 2021 predictions, as we always do for the last year of the show. Um, calling in from Philly, Xavier Mary Carena, who is co-founder of Shoebox. If you want to check them out online, they are chouxbox.com. On Instagram, they're underscore Shoebox. Twitter as well. Crystal Mobayani, co-founder, CEO of Bento Box. If you want to check them out online, get bento.com. Instagram, get bento. And Twitter is bentoboxnyc. Both great companies, both great people. We have lots and lots of Tech Bytes episodes with both of them. I want to thank Matt Patterson, who is always on the line. He is our engineer and he is studio production manager for Heritage Radio Network, something like that. Something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Head of audio production is what they call Head it. Head of audio production, online tech master, Zencaster master. I want to thank the entire uh, staff at Heritage Radio Network who has kept the lights on and the mics hot. I want to thank DJ Uptown Nico for our amazing theme song, Nomada CPU track. I want to thank all of our listeners and people who became members this year and people who bought something in our online auction and participated in the cheese class and all those kinds of things. Um, it's always it's always a challenge to raise funds as a nonprofit. It's been a challenge as a nonprofit in arts and media when so many things like food and shelter seem really essential right now. And those things are essential, but what's also essential for all of us, uh, the human spirit and our community is to keep talking, keep coming together and remembering these times and sharing our stories. So I hope you had a good 2020 in so far as you could. I hope you come back next week and I hope you come back next year and listen and celebrate in many ways some of the great things that the restaurant and hospitality industry can do. I'm Jennifer Leitze and this is Tech Bites. Tech Bites is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, 
Subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.